Hey, this is Melinda Cusera, your indie fantasy author. I'm back today. If you're listening to this and it's still October of 2023, go check out my Kickstarter for special editions of the Curse Breaker series. That is running until October 14th at 10.56 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it is fully funded, so there's no risk. Any pledges now, you will definitely get your books. And if you're listening to this after that time, you can still buy them. We're funded, so those omnibuses will be available afterwards. I thought it would be fun if I read you a bit about the books that are in the Kickstarter. So so first, if you missed my other video uh, or podcast about it, my Kickstarter is for three special edition hardcover omnibuses. Those three omnibuses collect nine action-packed fantasy adventures full of found family and reluctant heroes. So really, really grateful to everyone who's pledged and gotten us over the the goal and funded the project. So I've gotten off topic. I wanted to read to you the first chapters of some of the books that are in the omnibuses. And now for something different. I'm going to read you the first chapter from Chris Baker Darkens, which is also part of the first omnibus, which is the first three books of the Curse Breaker series. So Chris Baker Darkens is the sequel to Chris Baker Enchanted. And I don't think the first chapter is that big of a spoiler. I don't think it's a spoiler at all. I think I've probably spoiled everything in, in the earlier books in the podcast already. So yeah, read chapter one for you. And hopefully that'll make you want to come over and back the omnibus on our Kickstarter. I'll have the link in the description or the show notes, depending on where you're watching. All right. So Chris Baker Darkens, we have Jerlo, the head of the Rangers. He's Saren's boss, but he's also the head of the Rangers. So it's from his point of view. So let's get into his mind. So this is the first chapter for Chris Baker Darkens, and it's entitled Into Darkness. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to speak to you again. Under your cover, I bend, a light-loving boy to your end. My lord's throne, he'll then ascend and force the world to descend into madness, my friend, so the maggots can attend. The putrid feast we will send. Prayer to the dark one. Will it keep until tomorrow? There are some troubling elements in his tale. Nolo's question repeated like heartburn as Jerlo turned the page and stared at it. That conversation, which had happened two weeks ago, kept playing in the back of his mind despite his best efforts to shut it out. Some troubling elements in his tale, heh, when aren't there? Jerlo scribbled his name on another form and set it aside. Sarn could only speak the truth as he knew it, but that boy had been tailoring his speech since way before he'd become Jerlo's problem. So that wild tale about a dark creature from another realm wreaking all manner of trouble was likely just the tip of an even larger problem, one the kid would never reveal unless forced. Jerlo sighed and turned the page. His eyes skimmed the courtesy report sent from Mount Racine's head ranger, but not a single word registered. Will it keep until tomorrow? Nolo's disembodied voice asked from the shadowed corners of his office. Jerlo dropped his head into his hands and gave in. It has to. A body and a book are unaccounted for, he said, supplying the next line to his mute audience. Dragon statues ringed his desk. Their glowing eyes reminded him of Sarn. I don't know who helped Shade pick up a passenger or what that creature was or how they summoned it. Sarn had said two weeks ago on that goddamn bluff while staring into the rising dawn, a clear sign that he was editing his tale for his superiors. Jerlo rubbed his aching eyes as the conversation looped back to the beginning again. Will it keep until tomorrow? Nolo's voice echoed in the windowless office. You're not here. Jerlo laid his head down on the pile of papers in defeat. 
Maybe it was his conscience replaying the conversation to prod him into action. A body and a book are unaccounted for, a body and a book. The body had belonged to a demon-ridden youngster named Shade, and the book likely contained spells for summoning Shade's vanquished rider. Neither were found despite a thorough search of the enchanted forest. What did his conscience expect him to do about it? Commanding Mount Eregen's contingent of rangers was his job, not finding lost articles, even if they were magically significant. Are you sure it can wait? Jerlo started. This time, the voice spoke not from memory, but from the doorway. His second-in-command, Nolo, regarded him with worried eyes. Which problem are we talking about? Please tell me Sarn's staying out of trouble. He is. Nolo didn't say, for now, but his tone implied it. His second shifted his weight from foot to foot, and for a moment, he doubled. Jerlo blinked. Two Nolos now crowded the doorway. One was a man of middle 30s with skin the color of rich earth wearing the forest green uniform of the rangers, and the other was a black smudge holding a black arrow in full quiver. Death's marksman gave Jerlo a nod, then faded into Nolo's shadow. Nolo shook himself, and the beads at the ends of his braids clicked together. You creep me out when you go all Death's marksman on me like that. Jerlo suppressed a shudder. I don't know why it keeps coming out. For years, I've barely felt its touch, but lately, the black quiver is always at my back, waiting. I bring out the best in everyone, Jerlo muttered as he leaned back in his chair. Very funny, but off topic. How is it out there? All quiet on the enchanted forest front? Yes, too quiet after the mayhem two weeks ago. Nolo searched for a chair, then gave up. Jerlo sat on the largest, most comfortable chair, and the spare chair boasted a pile of books about an order of magicating monks called the Seekers. It was best to know one's enemy before he came. That was Jerlo's motto, even if legends and rumors made up most of his intel. Nolo leaned against the lintel and yawned. Still no sign of the body or the book, though the former must have decomposed or been buried by now. Nothing discarded in the enchanted forest stays there for long. I'd feel better if we had proof one way or the other. What if there are more of those things running around out there? Shouldn't we look for them? That's what I've been doing. Jerlo lifted a book from the top of the stack and tossed it to his second. What's this? Nolo caught the book and cracked it open. He grimaced at the smell and the grotesque imagery. A book about demons written by a monk 500 years ago. It's the closest match I can find to the horned thing the kid described. Are there more of them running around? Nolo paged through the book. I don't know. Jerlo threw up his hands but he intended to find out. His continued sanity might depend on it. Is there anything else I need to deal with? No, tonight's watch was a quiet one. I had the kid straighten up the training room. He wasn't happy about it, but he didn't argue. It's not like him to acquiesce like that. He's been different since that thing went down. Different how? Drillo sat up straight in his chair. Less argumentative and more distracted. It's like the bulk of his attention is focused elsewhere on something I can't see. I don't like it. Nolo's grip on the book tightened until his knuckles paled. Neither did Jerlo, but the conversation died and the M-word echoed in the silence. It was a subject neither would broach because the kid might be the only living mage left thanks to the Seekers. What a frightening thought that was. And he and his second tried hard to ignore it. Nolo backed away from the dreaded M-word until his back touched the door. He was God-touched by an aspect of death, but not a mage. What he did wasn't magic. It was a skill with deadly consequences. We all grieve in our own ways. Maybe that's all this is. The kid knew Shade for years before that worthy's death. Nolo scrubbed a hand over his face. Go rest. I need you sharp tonight, and I should finish some paperwork. Jerlo gave the never-ending pile a glum look. It would take an ocean of ink and several years to make a dent in it. May I hold on to this? Nolo held up the book on demonology, and the moaning face etched into its cover stared at Jerlo with hollow, eyeless pits. 
If you're seeking a little light reading, try the Shear and Legal Code. I guarantee you'll pass out before the end of chapter one. But that tome in your hands is likely to induce nightmares. If you don't need it, I'd like to give it a read to see what we're up against. There could be more of those things. Go for it. Just don't blame me if you wake up screaming from night terrors. I won't. You should try to get some rest too. Jerlo waved off his second's concern. His gaze landed on a half-finished letter. What had he meant to write? Nothing important or he'd remember. Have a good morning. Nolo went out and closed the door. Heh, a good morning would bring answers. So far, this one's brought only questions. Jerlo set the letter aside and leaned back in his chair. Outside his windowless office, the sun was preparing to ascend its throne. Even though he couldn't see it, he felt its rise and imagined its first pink rays striking Mount Arendrin's craggy face. Through its thick stone walls, that light pushed into his body, warming his bones. Jerlo laced his fingers together over his flat stomach and closed his eyes. Something niggled at him since before Nolo had entered. Jerlo groped after it, but the thought fled through the holes in his mind. When he finally wrestled it into submission, his vision grew wavy. Everything faded to gray, then green, as the view steadied. Jerlo now peered out of the eyes of a 14-year-old mage-gifted child. It was Sarn's memory, stolen during a strange interview. By accident, of course. Jerlo was no thief. It had become part of the flotsam and jetsam cluttering his mind until something had reminded him of it. Every element was the same as the last time Jerlo had viewed this memory. Hadrivo's miserable eye looked through a chink in a stone wall. Not a welcome sight. I'll pull you out when they're gone. Be as silent as sleeping stones, said the psycho-orphan master as he pushed a hand through that hole. But he and Sarn, they dodged it. And the sudden movement made them dizzy, so they slid down the wall into a puddle of elbows and knees. Jerlo froze the memory and stepped outside of Sarn's body and the windowless cell imprisoning the kid. There were 13 Karns. Inside their ring, a forest of white candles formed a 13-pointed star circumscribed by a circle. The white-clad sacrifice, shade was it? Bent to light their wicks. Jerlo turned, scanning the candlelit cave. Where are you, Hadrival? What part did you play in this monstrous endeavor? But this had already happened, and the viewpoint was limited to what Sarn could see through a chink in his cell. All else was flickering shadows on stone. Thirteen black-robed people chanted as they marched in. Deep cowls swallowed their faces, leaving their identities a mystery Jerlo couldn't probe. Was one of them Hadrival? Was the psycho-orphan master their ringleader? Was Shade the recipient of the first demon this group of nutcases summoned, or the thirteenth? Jerlo reround the memory. Hadrival's black eye peered in. Was there a wicked gleam in its depths? Was the psycho's voice saccharine against the chanting grating on Jerlo's nerves? Or was the constant replaying of the scene somehow changing it? Jerlo pressed his thumbs into his eyes. Could his perceptions color someone else's memory? Anything was possible when magic was involved. Jerlo had accidentally excised this memory two weeks ago, and he hadn't dared to repeat it. I'll pull you out when they're gone. Be as silent as sleeping stones, said the orphan master in that memory. Be as silent as sleeping stones. The phrase looped through Jerlo's mind as he leaned over and rifled through the books stacked on the chair beside his desk. One of them had referenced sleeping stones, but which one? Twelve tomes stared back at him. Most were histories he'd skimmed for accounts of the seekers and anything that might be demonic activity. The 13th he'd lent to Nolo. Discomfited by the eerie repetition of the number 13, Jerlo pushed up from his chair. There was one way to find out what role Hadrivod played in the demon summoning thing. Jerlo strode through half-deserted tunnels as the bells of Mount Eredren struck five. Servants hustled by, carrying trays of food and ewers of water. Steam curled up from a passing cart. Its covered dishes reflected the sprawling Lumiere mosaic overhead that lit the servant's way. I was a fool to put off this meeting. 
Gerlo wrapped his fist against the wide banister of the grand stair looping between the ornate levels. His hands were small for a man of exactly five feet, but they were proportional to his small stature and quite capable of dealing damage when needed. A dozen stave-wielding statues turned their heads as he strode by. Each gleaming crystal eye hurled an accusation at him. Gerlo blinked, and they faced forward again. He rubbed his eyes, and his bushy brows tickled his fingers as exhaustion mauled Gerlo. Lights twinkled in the black spangled tide reaching out for him, but he shoved the need to sleep down. I won't rest until I've faced that monster and extracted some much-needed answers. Gerlo stepped off the stairs, hurried to an office on this level, and knocked on the door. Who is it? asked a woman. Gerlo didn't recognize her voice. Where was Lord Olav? This was his office. Maybe he'd hired a secretary since his last visit. Nobles did such things all the time. Their staffs tended to change with their moods. Gerlo, commander of the rangers. The door swung in, framing a middle-aged woman clad in purple. Is Lord Olav Nalshira in? Gerlo tried to see past the handsome woman, but her curvy body blocked the door. In her heeled sandals, she stood a half foot taller than him, putting her ample bust at eye level. She shook her head. Wisps of black hair escaped her chignon and they stirred in the mountain's quiet breathing. No, he's in the capital with his cousin, the Lord of the Mountain. They're not due back until the summer session closes. Is there something I can help you with? That depends on whether you have a key to the oubliette. Her face blanched and she clutched her throat. Why would you want to go to that godforsaken place? There's someone in there I need to talk to. She shook her head. Oh no, there's only one monster incarcerated there. You can't possibly need to speak to him. If there were any other way, I'd take it. Do you have the key to it? Her hand dropped from her throat to the chain around her neck. Through the violet of her dress, she gripped a slender object. If I don't have this key, what then? Then I'll wait, but I'd rather not. This issue is important. It affects Lord Joran's personal property. An object he'd be quite angered to find damaged if you catch my meaning. Gerlo threw in a wink because this bald statement demanded it. She nodded, though her face remained bloodless. I know something about the object in question. How does talking to that monster safeguard it? He could help me eliminate a threat that's long been festering. This monster played a role in unleashing it. Drillo's lips twisted in disgust at the thought of Hadrival being helpful. She took all that in with a couple of blinks, then nodded. I don't like this, but I can't refuse your request either. If talking to that monster will safeguard that object, then I must help you. But I warn you, he's been incarcerated for almost five years. Being so long in solitary confinement does strange things to the mind. Don't expect to get too much from him. Thanks for the warning. I'll keep that in mind. Shall we go? Gerlo gestured to the deserted hallway behind him. He felt the crystalline glares of the statues parked there. She debated for a moment, then darted inside, but she left the door cracked open. Let me just grab a light. We should go in the daylight when the tide's out. Why is that? You'll see. Her ominous promise echoed in the sudden quiet. Gerlo patted his pockets for his chunk of Lumiere crystal. He'd need its light where he was going. What have you gotten yourself into? Trouble, most likely. But he pushed that thought away. She reappeared before he could brood over much and slipped past him into the corridor. Gerlo rushed to catch up. She had a long stride accentuated by the divided skirt flaring out behind her. You could just give me the key. I'm not going to release him. Just talk to him. Do you even know where the oubliette is? She didn't bother to look at him. Her long legs kept turning despite her impractical garb. When she entered a stairwell, she descended without a backward glance. It's not in the dungeon, is it? At his question, she paused and leaned against the enclosing wall. The staircase wound around a central pillar the Letharians had left undecorated. Maybe they'd missed it during their last carving spree. The bluish glow of the Lumiere crystal in her hand only emphasized its plainness. As she studied him, the play of light and shadows on her sharp features rendered her into a caricature. No doubt she was trying to figure him out. Plenty of women had tried, but none had ever succeeded. 
Trillo folded his arms over his chest. What's your name? I told you mine. It's only fair you'd return the favor. No. She turned on her heel and passed around a bend, taking the cold light streaming from her hand with her. Only her soft footsteps signaled she was still on the staircase. Wonderful. I'm heading to the oubliette to talk to a madman guided by a bitch called No. You have no sense of irony. Jerlo cast his eyes heavenwards at the darkness falling over him. He withdrew a yellow pebble from his pocket. For a moment, he held the sun in, in his hands. Its cool, polished globe nestled between his thumb and forefinger. Opening his hand, he released the Lumiere crystal's glow. Concentric rings of brilliance pushed the darkness away, but it wasn't the sun. This magically generated light was as cold as the damp stairwell. Someone needs to interview Hadrival. Must that someone be you? Drillo started. Who had whispered that? The voice was pitched low like a man's, but its softness could have masked a woman's voice. Who goes there? The woman called no had either left the stairwell or descended too far to hear his shout. You tried to kill him. What makes you think he'll speak to you? Who said that? Show yourself. Drillo pivoted, scanning the smooth stones for signs of his mysterious interlocutor. He held the Lumiere crystal at eye level, as the old rhyme recommended, but its light didn't reveal anything but bare stone that was as gray as a storm cloud. Jerlo, who are you doing this for? Who are you? How did you know my name or my plan? Jerlo whirled, but there was still nothing but Lumiere crystal lit stone and shadows above and below him. How did this creep know about Sarn? That boy was a secret he and his rangers had kept for years. How do you know about him? Answer me. You're not doing this for Sarn. No, you're still waiting for him to become someone else's problem. Someone else's problem. The phrase trapped Jerlo, and its truth hammered at him. He tried to shake it off so he could get a fix on that voice, but it was bouncing around so much it seemed to come from everywhere at once. Then it faded out, leaving Jerlo alone on the stairs. Was the Lumiere crystal he clutched somehow dim by this exchange? Because the shadows were sharper below. Jerlo rubbed his tired eyes with his free hand, dispelling the fantasy until a moan startled him. He'd forgotten about his guide. Jerlo hurried, but his short legs curtailed him to one step at a time. Around the sixth bend, he found her. Her Lumiere crystal had fallen several steps below her, and its cold light illuminated a crumpled body wrapped in purple crepe. Jerlo peeled the thin, silky garment away from her skin and felt for a pulse. Finding it, he probed for broken bones as he turned her onto her back. No screams meant she likely hadn't broken anything. She blinked dark eyes up at him from a face that remained beautiful despite the new bruises. She was a pretty complication, nothing more. Drillo reminded himself. What happened? I thought I heard something. Then I glanced around me. I must have stepped on my skirt or caught it on something because the next thing I know, I'm falling face first into darkness. What did you hear? She shook her head and winced. I thought I heard a whisper but it might have been an echo. It was too soft to hear well. So there had been someone else on the stairs. Relieved, Drillo squatted on the stair nearest her. Could someone have pushed you? No, I fell on my own and reinforced the stereotype of a helpless female. She twisted her lips in disgust and pushed away from him so she could sit up unaided. Drillo barked a mirthless laugh at her self-pity. What's so funny? Lady, I don't know who you've been hanging out with, but all the women I know are strong and brave in their own ways. You're lucky to know such women. Luck has nothing to do with it. Now, what's your name? I don't want to stout, hey, you, next time I lose track of you. Her face reddened, but she held out a hand. I'm Vanya, and by all that's holy, I hurt. Well, Vanya, it's nice to meet you. I think we should sit here for a spell until you're less sore. Unless, of course, you want to hand over that key. I can find the oubliette on my own. Jerlo eyed her ample bosom and the silver chain nestled between the tops of her exposed breasts. No, I have to take you. Vanya gripped the key through the thin material of her dress. I have to make sure that monster stays locked up. Why would anyone release him? 
I don't know. And if you didn't have express permission from the Lord of the Mountain himself, I wouldn't take you. Good to know he's in a high security ward. Quite secure. There's no escape for that villain, not so long as I hold the key. Vanya lifted the key from between her shapely breasts and regarded it as if it held the secrets of the universe. You were one of his victims. Drillo nodded as a great many troubling things fell into place. But Vanya was so lost in her contemplation, nothing external registered. A man set apart, a child caught between. In these troubled times, the twice-dead still breeds, she said as she turned the key in her calloused fingers. What was that? Vanya shook herself. Something Lord Jorant, I mean the Lord of the Mountain, often says. Every time I hear it, I remember that horrible day. Vanya dropped the key into her blouse and gave her corset a push as the key disappeared between her pale breasts. Those perfect globes had escaped bruising during her fall, but her hand hovered over them as her chest swelled with mounting anxiety. Do you ever think of that day? That day. The day when Hadrival should have met his end. Oh, Jirlo recalled that day with startling clarity. Why didn't he die? Vanya asked. Her plaintive question was a thread that snapped and twisted in the current stirring the air. And that's it for chapter one of Cursebreaker Darkens. But you can also get, if you get the first omnibus, which is Cursebreaker books one to three, that's part of my Kickstarter and you can get it in ebook or hardcover. That will do it for this episode. If you're listening to this and it's still October of 2023, go check out my Kickstarter for special editions of the Cursebreaker series. That is running until October 14th at 10.56 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it is fully funded, so there's no risk. Any pledges now, you will definitely get your books. And if you're listening to this after that time, you can still buy them. We're funded, so as long as we stay funded, those omnibuses will be available afterwards. So thank you so much.